And so we launched the series, A Story to Tell, for April and May. We're going to look at John chapter 4 and examine this encounter of Jesus with the woman at the well. We are certainly in the presence of the living God this morning. He has made his presence known to us individually as we've sung the hymns and worship before him. And part of what he's doing as he prepares us for his word is helping us know how completely surrendered we must be unto him in everything, in every, in every way. And it's an unusual way to live your life, but it's the way the Savior wants. It's what he's called us to do, to submit our lives unto him and call him Lord and only him. And so as we look at the life of Jesus over these next eight weeks, as he interacts with this woman from Samaria, we are saying in our heart, you are Lord, and I am a follower. I am a student. I am a pupil. I am a disciple. And I am seeking to be like you, Lord, and I'm submitting unto you in how I behave in the world. Many of you know that we've laid off a thousand missionaries. And it grieves us, and we wonder, Lord, how do we respond to this downsizing of our mission force around the world? Because we have joined together as a people, along with thousands of other churches and people, to launch a great mission effort around the world. That's why we are together, to do this mission work around the world, and the head of the International Mission Board is David Platt. He preached here back in November. He is calling us to think about ourselves, every one of us, as missionaries in the world. We are people who go. We go all the time, all kind of places. Even this morning, I learned of some going that's going to be happening in this church family. And Jesus is calling us to be his missionaries as we go. He intends that these chance encounters we have with strangers in airports and taxis and on airplanes and in coffee shops and restaurants and parks. These chance encounters that we understand them in a different way now that we are his ambassadors. That we start to look at them in a different way. That we begin to follow Jesus in the chance encounters of life. Businessmen, businesswomen, students, retirees, people taking vacations, folks who travel for their work. I want to have a conversation with you, and most importantly, I want you to have a conversation with your Lord about how you are to be when you hit the road, when you're where nobody knows you, when strangers are sitting all around you, how you are to be in the world. And that's really what this series is about. We are going to, during these eight weeks, get our Bibles out and look at a plan in the Scriptures where we can open the Bible and show somebody how to be a Christian. Just as simple as it can be, taking it from the Scriptures and showing them how they can know Christ. During these eight weeks, we are going to encourage you to develop your own story, just as I told mine a minute ago. What is your story before you knew Christ? how you came to know him, how life has been since Christ. That's part of what we're going to do. But most importantly, we want to develop a new mindset about being in the world. I want you to pay attention in John chapter 4 as I read the text this morning 
And then I want you to think about how you are to be in the world. Now, Jesus, in verse 1 of John chapter 4, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Jesus, the scripture says, was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. It was always on Jesus' heart and in his mind, make disciples. That's why he came. He came to draw people unto himself. So he's in the business of making disciples. He had been in the Judean countryside, baptizing in the Jordan River, in the vicinity of John the Baptist in his meetings. Everyone showed up for these events. Thousands of people came from as far away as Jerusalem and even further. And the disciples of John said, everyone is going to him, meaning Jesus. For most preachers, this would have been really tough on their egos. A new preacher arrives in town, and he quickly builds a following larger than yours, made up of many people who used to come to hear you. Not a happy thought, but John is fine with it. The Baptist is decreasing, and Jesus is increasing, and that's the way it ought to be, John says. He's only the attendant to the bridegroom. He's only the herald, the voice in the wilderness. And Jesus is the bridegroom. He introduces Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he is rejoicing that Jesus is growing in popularity and influence. Scripture says here that Jesus is gaining and baptizing disciples. The word disciple is a noun here. And gaining is the word to make. So he is making disciples disciples. It's why he came. It is on his heart. It's how he is going to sustain the good news as he ascends into heaven. He's going to leave his church here, and they're going to carry the good news and make disciples. He gives them the great commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and there he says, as you go, make disciples of all nations, and there he uses the verb form of the noun disciple. And we try to make an English word out of it, say, discipling. What are you doing? Well, I'm discipling so-and-so. If you put that in your spell check, it'll reject it. It's not really an English word. But it is a Greek word. The Greek word, disciple, and then a verb, discipling. So Jesus is discipling. He is making disciples, and he is calling us to do the same, to make disciples. It takes a little bit of a mind change, a perspective. 
changed, to begin to think about myself making disciples in the world, that I leave my home on the way to work, on the way to the airport, in a taxi, wherever I'm going, that I'm actually making disciples in the world. Jesus dies on the cross, and the disciples are confused. He's raised from the dead, and the disciples are surprised. They gather in the upper room and wonder, what in the world has happened? What, what is this about? What does this mean? What is the world about? What is life about now that Jesus has died and risen from the dead? You make disciples. You share the good news. Jesus has cleansed your soul. He has transformed your heart. He has given you <laughs> eternal life. It's good news. You've got to share it. As you go, you must make disciples, Jesus said. And so, in order to really understand chapter 4 and what happens with the Samaritan woman, we must have on our heart as individual believers the task of making disciples. Whoever we are, whatever our occupation is, it must be on our heart. We are here, left on the planet, having received the good news and the salvation God offers. We are left here to share it, to tell it, and to make disciples. We're not trying to make disciples of our personal perspective. We are not missionaries of our own point of view. We are seeking to teach what Jesus said and to help people follow him, right? We are making disciples of Jesus, which is why for these years I've said, I'm a Jesus person. Amen. Jesus changed my life. He changed my heart. You heard a little bit about it a minute ago, the beginning of a journey. And we are Jesus people, not primarily Baptist, but Jesus people, Right? not trying to make people little Baptists like us. We're trying to make them Jesus people, help them be disciples of Jesus. Very important because the world will sidetrack you into these little streams where you think you're trying to make somebody a disciple of you or of your particular perspective or your particular group. And there is no power in that. It is not the way that the Scriptures teach us what Jesus said is go into the world and make disciples. In other words, His disciples that people might follow Him. Amen. That's what we're up to in the world. Some of you may be concerned that I'm getting more Baptist having decided to run for this office. But actually what I want to be is a Jesus person no matter where I am. I want to exalt the Savior. I want my words to be full of Jesus, my mind, my emotions, and my actions to be full of Jesus. As I wrote in the little song when I was 16, I want my life to count for Jesus. And that's the point of making disciples. In my mind, that's how I would explain it. And we are Baptists by conviction, and happily so, largely because we have this far-flung mission effort around the world and we joyfully participate in the training, recruiting, and sending, and sustaining of, of, of missionaries in 160 countries in the world. It's a great far-flung ministry that is taking the gospel to the nations. Make disciples of all nations. That's what we are up to, and we need to maintain it purely in our mind and heart, what God has given us to do. Jesus was making disciples. 
gaining and baptizing disciples. And then he said, you go, and as you go, make disciples of all nations. I hope your experience this morning is part of a process of making you a faithful follower of Christ. A disciple is one who learns, who is tutored, a pupil, and a follower, particularly a follower. That's who a disciple is. Would you describe yourself as a disciple of Jesus? That is, are you a follower of Jesus? Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, James and John, follow me. And they dropped their nets and followed him. Is that you? Are you seeking to follow Jesus, college student, young married couple, teenager? Are you seeking, would you describe yourself as a follower of Jesus? It's who we want to be. It's who he sent us to be in the world. And having had this challenge placed upon our heart, we need to make the most of time and travel. We are by necessity a mobile people. We are the folks who have put go in the Great Commission. We go more than anybody. Somebody observed the word go is not in the imperative in the Great Commission. It's indicative. As you go, on your way, you are going anyway. And as you go, make disciples. And nobody's gone like our generation. My parents, I don't know that they ever even made a flight in an airplane trying to think if they ever flew anywhere. It sure wasn't common in their generation, but now it is in ours. We go all the time. Many of you are leaving tomorrow morning. You're going to cities and other places to do your work, to go to conferences. And Jesus says, as you go, businessman, as you go, student, as you go, retiree, as you go vacationing, I want something to be on your heart. Make disciples. See, Jesus really didn't have to go through Samaria to get back to Galilee. The Scripture says he had to go through Samaria. And so you think, well, what is the necessity of going through Samaria? If you look at a map, you can see that Judea's in the south, Galilee's in the north, and Samaria's between the two. But the Jews had become very comfortable with avoiding Samaria. If they were ready to go from Judea back up to Galilee, they'd just skip over the other side of the Jordan River, get on the east bank, and they'd head up that east bank until they got to Galilee, and they'd go that way so they wouldn't have to go through Samaria because, as you know and are well aware, the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They avoid going through their country. They don't want to go in their towns. They're afraid that if they go to their towns, if they take a sip of water from a well, they will be ceremonially unclean. They don't want to associate with these people who don't know how to eat, who don't know the right foods. They don't know where to worship. They're all confused. So they have no dealings with the Samaritans. The necessity for Jesus going through Samaria was not geographical. But it was purposeful. It was missional. There was a woman there he needed to see. That's why he went. That was the necessity of his journey taking him through Samaria. That's why he had to go. Now he's going to plant the word in this woman 
who comes to the well. Some time later, an evangelist and deacon named Philip is going to take the good news of the gospel to Samaria. After Jesus has died and rose again from the dead, Philip is going to take off in the great persecution that hits Jerusalem, and he's going to head into Samaria. And while he's in Samaria with making disciples on his heart, he starts preaching to Samaritans, and get what happens. They have a great turning to Jesus in Samaria. There is a great revival in Samaria. And part of the reason I think there's such great revival in Samaria is because Jesus made this stop at the well in Samaria. He planted the seed. He prepared the way. He knew it was going to happen. Later on when Philip came, they were so astonished by the turning to Christ in Samaria, they had to send Peter over to check on it, you know. Peter had to go see if it was really real. Were these people really Christians? Can Samaritans really come into the church of Jesus Christ? And that's the other necessity, you see. The other necessity in your travels, in your journeys, as you go from place to place, is make sure you are comfortable and ready to cross cultural barriers to share your faith. See, it's, it's just true about us. We live in our enclave, and some people are just too old to talk to. <laughs> you know, I don't want to talk to Crosby, that old guy. I turned 63, I mean, you know, it's on my mind. Or, I don't want to talk to her. She's too young. She won't understand me. Or, I don't want to talk to him. I really don't understand uh, Hispanic people. Or, I'm not going to talk to her, you know. She probably doesn't know English or whatever the case may be. What Jesus does here is very deliberate. Now, think about it. Think about this for a moment, okay? When Jesus says the great command is love God and love your neighbor, in order to illustrate how you keep the great commandment, he introduces a Samaritan. Now, in the most extensive confrontation and encounter and witnessing event in the life of Jesus. Described in detail, he's talking to a Samaritan woman. What's up here? See, the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to jump across every barrier that humans put between themselves. Jesus Christ has the, has the power to save Samaritans, and not only Samaritans, but Gentiles, and not only Gentiles, but every color of human being on the face of the earth, every culture, every tribe, every tongue, every people group on planet earth. The gospel will make sense to them once explained, once put forth. They will receive Christ as Savior. Churches will grow. The gospel prevails over every barrier and wall that is erected among humans. And we've got to get comfortable with it. One day, you're going to be in heaven with all this array of people. And you're going to think, if you don't speak English, I think, you know, you don't know what, but nobody there, you know. They'll be speaking every language known to man. All this array of people will be there. That's what heaven's going to look like. And Jesus is introducing heaven to us as he starts talking to this Samaritan woman. That's good teaching, Pastor. He wants us to know the gospel works across the culture. Jesus Christ himself is our peace. 
who has brought down the wall between human beings. And brothers and sisters, what I'm telling you right now is not incidental to the gospel. It's not accidental to the gospel. It is essential to the gospel. It is essential that you understand the gospel this way, that it's not just for you, your group, your clan, your cultural tribe. It is for everybody on the face of this earth. Yes, it's for all. And you must live it out every day, every way that you can, because it is the heart of the gospel. It is such a precious and wonderful truth. You know, nothing on earth brings the walls down like the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for everyone, that everyone is created in God's image and has dignity and worth in his sight, and that every, every person, no matter economic, social, or ethnic class, every person can avail themselves of the good news of Jesus Christ and experience his salvation, forgiveness is free from the cross for all who receive it. Anytime we put up an artificial barrier between us, our words, and the testimony of the gospel, we have already belied the heart of the gospel. See, we've already acted against what we're about to say or not say. We've already taken something out of the gospel that's essential to it. It is necessary that when a Samaritan sits down by us, and I don't know if there's any Samaritans anymore. I'm sure there's a few. But when somebody from another group sits down by us, that we see the call, the need, and the opportunity to start a conversation, the spiritual need, and the wonderful event, the encounter, with somebody, whoever they are, who needs Jesus. In our travels, let's make disciples. These chance encounters, they are divine appointments. I preached in the early service, and John, who just has one leg, he's got a prosthetic, he came up as fast as a one-legged man could come. And he said, David, David, I just got to tell you this. He said, I had a chance encounter at an amputee convention. I was sitting by myself, and this group was laughing over here. And when they were through laughing, one of the guys came over, and he said, I'm sorry. We weren't laughing at you. We were just, he said, I never thought you were laughing at us, but it started a friendship, okay? So John made a friend in the amputee conference. And a series of events has occurred. He shared with with his friend the gospel. The man did not respond, but he was an amputee. And so a week from today, on Sunday, John is leaving to fly to New Zealand, where he is going to tell his story of having his leg amputated and receiving a prosthetic leg to a great convention there. And he told the folks that invited him, he said, look, the reason that I've been able to adjust to this era in my life is because I know Jesus, and I'm going to have to say that if you let me talk. And they said, that's okay. That's okay. 
So a week from now, John's going to go to New Zealand, and in a great conference of amputees, he's going to talk about how Jesus has changed his life. That's what these chance encounters are all about. That's what God does with them. I sat down because I was hungry in a restaurant in Houston at the airport, and I was sitting on this stool, and a woman sat down on the stool next to me, and we started talking to one another while we were waiting on our food. We had a spiritual conversation. I found out she was already a believer. She bought my dinner, by the way. She did, which was good. She also sent us a check for $25,000 to do the work of the gospel here in New Orleans. I mean, God resources his work in all kinds of ways. These are not chance encounters. I'm going to leave a week from tomorrow for California. And the last time I went to this board meeting, a guy sat beside me on the air, uh, in the airplane. And about halfway through the flight, he turns to me and says, what do you think about divorce? And I knew when he asked the question, okay, this is God throwing the door wide open. This is a spiritual conversation. And it was until we landed. So I'm praying, Lord, do something on this next trip about an encounter with somebody like the Samaritan woman whom I can share the good news with and have this conversation. And I want you to think about the same thing now. We've got two months. We've got eight weeks where we're looking at this story, the woman at the well. And already, as I've prepared for it, I've had these, these encounters on my mind. I've been thinking what God wants to do with these happenstance relationships that occur in brief moments, brief contacts here, there, and elsewhere. And all of a sudden, God's already changing my, my perspective. He's enhancing the sensitivity I have toward people around me. I know it's going to happen to you as well. You're going to sit down by somebody on a plane or at a restaurant, and you're going to realize they're upset. They're in trouble. They're going through a divorce. They just lost somebody they love. You know, I wrote that little book, Your Pain is Changing You. And this week, I've had half a dozen people come to me and say, I just want you to know. That book has ministered to me because I'm in pain. The woman at the well was in pain. The person you ride with, the person you sit down next to, that stranger that you meet may well be experiencing pain in his life, in a deep kind of pain, and he doesn't know exactly what to do with that pain. A young man that I knew when he was this tall blogged today about the own pain in his life and how God is helping him through the trouble that he's in. The Holy Spirit is making us sensitive to these opportunities. And we want to set aside all excuses. Make no excuses. When you get on the plane, you're going to be tired. That doesn't mean you check out. Jesus was tired when he sat down by the well. Tired as he was from the journey, he sat down at the well. But he didn't check out. Even though he was tired, he was ready. He was thirsty too. His own needs were pressing him, and sometimes that happens to us. Our needs are bombarding us. We're so full of need. We have all kinds of things we got to get done, and sometimes our own need is overwhelming. But what Jesus is doing in us is just what he did at the well, helping us know that we are his ambassadors wherever we go and preparing us for the meeting we're about to have. He was tired. He was thirsty. But he saw the woman. His enemies never saw him, you know. They criticized the woman who came to cleanse his feet, anoint his feet. 
And Jesus said to them, do you see this woman? Man, they never saw her. They didn't care. They didn't care about her. Jesus is making you somebody different. This week, you're going to see the woman. You're going to see the man. You're going to see that young person. You're going to see that old person. And you're going to know with a prompting in your heart that God's given you a moment to connect to them in love and build a bridge for the good news. Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, I pray for all these moments we're going to have, the seven days that are to come. Lord, make our hearts sensitive, make them soft. Give us an idea of the words that we should share. Help us know the question to ask as Jesus knew it. And prepare us to be a witness. God, I pray that we will follow Jesus in his great example here. Bring us into submission to your purpose and will. Lord, help us to respond through the prompting of your Holy Spirit, even at this moment right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.